Amen. Let's turn our Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. I thought I was going to have to get a seatbelt for Pastor McPherson there. <laughs> he was getting excited. Amen. That's good. We've had some good music this morning about the love of Christ and God's love for us. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. On this Valentine's Day, don't forget to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus as well, and tell Christ that you love him. Ephesians chapter 3. Lots going on this week. Our church will be a flurry of activity, so I encourage you to take part in it. On Tuesday, we have the seniors' coffee hour, of course, and we have an OPP officer coming to talk about fraud prevention and identity theft. That's over in the gymnasium. Uh, Brother Roberts just told me this morning, please let people know to come at 9.30 instead of 10 o'clock. At 9.30, you're going to have some coffee time first, some refreshments and some things. And then at 10 o'clock sharp, you'll start, that's the plan anyway, 10 o'clock, start with the program in the teen room, which is just off the side of the gym there, because the seats are already set up in there, and they'll have a a screen there, and uh, the officer will take you through all that uh, program that he has for you. And so 9.30, seniors, please mark that. Anybody's welcome to come. If you're listening on the internet today and you're local, you're welcome to come to that. We'd love to have you, and uh, that would be a help to you. Uh, in this day and age, of course, that is rampant, and we want to make sure that we are protecting ourselves to the best of our ability. So that's on Tuesday, 9.30 a.m. in the gymnasium. And then uh, starting on Tuesday night, we'll start to see some missionaries trickle in for our conference on Wednesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 7 o'clock each night, we have our part of our missions conference at 7 o'clock. Uh, Brother Mark Logan will be preaching each night. A different missionary will be presenting their ministry each night. Thursday night, our children from the Master Clubs, and as well as some adults, are going to be participating in our Parade of Nations. Saturday, of course, we have uh, during the day, we have an activity. We're going to um, St. Jacob's. We like to take all the missionaries, go to St. Jacob's Market, then we go for lunch, and then we'll come back here. And uh, in the evening, of course, at 6 o'clock is our international dinner. And so mark your calendars and be a part of that. You must sign up today. Please sign up today. Um, we would appreciate so much. And, and I know sometimes you're, you're scheduled to work and your schedule changes. In the very least, just give us a call if that happens, all right? But please don't just show up if you've not signed up because then we're in trouble. We, we, we set up so many chairs and tables and things and we'd love to have you come, but please let us know. We would appreciate that so much. The ladies uh, do a lot of work to make it look nice. They hate to have to throw up a table with no tablecloth and things. That just bothers them. They want it to look just right, okay? So please let us know. But today, if at all possible, get those little slips that were in your bulletin in. Uh, make sure that they get to uh, somebody. Give them to an usher, uh, Brother Foreman's over here, Brother Ronson's back here somewhere, he'll take care of it, he'll get that to the right place, give it to one of the staff, or give it to my mom, Uh, we just want to make sure that we know that you're coming. Then of course next Sunday we have a great program, uh, all day long, all about missions, and we're excited about that, All right. and Brother Logan will be preaching in the morning, Brother Jacobs will be preaching in the evening service, and uh, we have a special musical package in the morning, choir singing, and some other things going on, Uh, a little mini cantata almost, four songs, and it's going to have some other things going on. It'll be a real blessing to you. You'll want to come. Next Sunday morning, we will have a joint Sunday school, all right? So remember that. It's in your bulletin on the back. If you look at the back of your bulletins, the schedule for the whole week is there. But next Sunday morning, we'll have a joint Sunday school. So teachers, you kind of get a break this week. Use that time to um, prepare your hearts for the missions conference. But come in here in the auditorium, and we will have a good time together uh, during that morning hour. All right, so that's at 10 o'clock right here in the auditorium for a joint Sunday school. We have a busy week. Uh, you'll be tired when it's all done. But it's, it's, So tomorrow's family day, rest up. All right, take the day and just relax and enjoy, and uh, we'll be ready for a great week serving the Lord. 
Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you look at verse 14 with me, we'll read till the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Know unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And we thank you that it is expressed so frequently in Scripture. Father, may we in turn thank you that that you loved us, but also express our love back to you. Not just in word, but in deed also. May we be faithful servants in expressing our love through our works. Father, we pray that you bless this time in your word. Strengthen us, we pray. Bless the missions conference this week. Give those missionaries journey tra- uh, journeys mercies as they travel. And Lord, that we would just have a good time of fellowship, but more importantly, be challenged about the cause of Christ in world evangelism. Father, speak to our hearts now, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you would allow me this morning, I'm, I'm going to probably preach a little bit shorter Uh, than I normally would. I've been battling this cold for a few weeks, and last Sunday I had no voice after the morning service, and I'd like to be able to preach tonight. So we're going to try to shorten things just a touch. You know, if I only had one message to preach, it was a question that was given to me once at a pastor's conference, and one of the pastors was just asking others, if you only had one message to preach, what would it be? I've thought about that a lot. But I would have to say, I believe it would have to be about the love of God for us. For in the love of God, we preach Christ. Within the love of God, we much preach Calvary. That was how it was expressed to us on the cross of Calvary. Within the love of God, we must preach an empty tomb. Within the love of God, we must preach that Christ is coming again. That Christ went to prepare a place for us. So everything that God has done for us was motivated by love. The apostle writes to the church at Ephesus and he says in chapter three that, in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. What is he talking about? About the love of God. Think about that. He wants us to comprehend the breadth. The length, the depth, the height of his love. And he says this, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. That sounds like an oxymoron to me, doesn't it to you? How can we know something that passes knowledge? It's like the peace of God that passes understanding. We, We know that we need it, but we don't really understand it. But the Bible says, I want you to know the love of God, or the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, Why? That you might be filled 
with all the fullness of God. The truth is clear that God's love is beyond our understanding, and yet there's enough demonstration of it in Scripture that it would overwhelm even the hardest heart. I want you to notice, if you'll turn with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at four things this morning about the love of Christ or the love of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, <laughs> Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, of course, we've been talking about off and on, was a wicked carnal church, for lack of a better word. They were involved in immorality, they were involved in fighting within, some were of Paul, some were of Paulus, others were of Christ. There was divisions among them. And Paul said, do you know that God loves you anyway? It's good to be reminded that as a child of God, no matter how far I'm fallen, that God's love is still extended to me. That I can still repent of my sin and confess my sin and he is faithful and just to forgive my sin and that's all because God loves me. Has extended that love to me. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, read with me in verse 14 again, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we, know, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Aren't you thankful for that? And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. I want you to notice firstly this morning that God's love is a constraining love. A constraining love. We often think of that word constraints and we think of an officer putting handcuffs upon a prisoner. That's putting him in constraints. The word comes from that Greek word uh, root, but is not exactly the same. The word here, constraineth, means to be pressed upon. In other words, God's love presses upon us. The illustration I found in the dictionary was like a ship in a canal. That ship is protected from the uh, ocean's waves, and yet it is in that canal, and it is directed in one direction. I don't know if you've ever been down by Welland and you go over that bridge in St. Catharines and you can see the canals there and I've seen ships coming through there from time to time and they can't turn around. They are going in one direction because they are constrained. There's no turning around. 
And Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, uh, the love of Christ constraineth us. It is pointing us in the right direction. It is compelling us to do something. It is putting our focus on the right things. That's what God's love is to do. And it, it also means the word constrain means to hold together lest it fall to pieces or fall away. Have you ever repaired anything with duct tape? We're Canadians, right? We're men. Some of us men, that's how we fix things. And so we, we, we put duct tape all around. So, well, that, that's good enough. That'll hold for a little while. Or we try to glue something back together. And we, that's the definition of the word constrain, to hold it together, that it would not fall apart. To keep it in the right direction, to aim it in the right place, that it would have the right focus. God, Paul says to the church of Corinth in verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Therefore, the love of Christ holds us up or it holds us together. It keeps us focused on what matters, what really matters. I want you to notice from this passage, we see, first of all, the mark of constraining love. The mark of constraining love. The mark of constraining love is in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all. The mark of constraining love is this. Christ died for us. That ought to be the reminder that, that, that sticks in our mind forever. You wonder if Christ loves you. He died for you. You wonder, does God really love me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent him as a sacrifice for our sins. That ought to motivate us, constrain us to keep our focus on the right things because Christ died for us. That's the mark of constraining love, that he died for us. And the Bible gives us two implications because of that. Notice what it says, first of all, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Then we're all dead. As our representative, we all died the day Jesus died. We are all dead in Christ. For those that know Christ as their Savior and put your faith and trust in him, the old man has passed away. You are dead in Christ. I remember years ago, Pastor Roy Thompson preaching a message about going to a funeral. And he said, at that funeral, I walked up to the casket and I began to poke the fellow because I was angry with him. And he left some things undone in my life and some apologies left unsaid. And so I began to poke him. And now you know Dr. Roy Thompson. I thought this might be a true story. This may not be an illustration. I wasn't sure how he might behave. And then he said a little bit further, he says, that didn't get his attention. So I began to insult him and get angry with him. And I, I told him what I thought of him. And he didn't move. And the illustration was this. Dead men can't be insulted. Dead men cannot be provoked. He says, we are to be dead in Christ. And if we are dead in Christ, you cannot be offended. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. We are to be dead in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a mark of constraining love and it implies that because Christ died as my representative, we were all dead. Let me illustrate it this way. Years ago, I owned a condominium on the West Hamilton Mountain. We had purchased it as a power of sale and we moved our little family in there back then and it was, it was kind of a fun thing. We had lived in an apartment before that and uh, I guess Austin was just three months old when we moved. So it was about 15, almost 16 years ago. And uh, we got into that, that little house and Brendan was only about three and a half years old and Emily was about two and a half years old and we got in there and 
Brendan walked in that night and we got him settled, had his shower, his bath, whatever, and got him to bed. The next morning, he, opened, he was exploring the house. And he opens the one door and there's a bathroom. And he said, wow. He's found a second bathroom. He'd never seen anything like that before. We had lived in an apartment. And so later on, I, I was getting ready to go take a shower. We had been putting beds together and we'd got the work all done, boxes put away and whatever. And I'm tired and I said, I'm going to take a shower and go to bed. So I grabbed a towel and I'm headed to the bathroom. And I had pajamas over one shoulder and I had a towel over the other. And Brendan says, dad, why are you showering in here? We got all kinds of bathrooms in this house. It was kind of a fun discovery to move into a place like that. And while we were on that, that condominiums, there was, a, there was a problem with our taxation. They said, we got our tax bill and, and it had to do with the bathrooms. That was why I was telling you that story. It was one of the issues. And they said, well, you know, uh, your house is valued more than your neighbor's because you have two bathrooms. They only have one. Well, that wasn't true. Every house there was built the same. All 25 had two bathrooms. They said, well, your house is different in that it's got uh, three bedrooms and the other ones only have two. And that wasn't true either. They had all had the same amount of bedrooms. As a matter of fact, every unit was exactly the same. The only difference was, was four of them on one side had garages. The rest did not. Ours did not. And so what we did is we sent a representative to City Hall. We said there was a file, you could file a form that says we'd like to have our taxes reassessed. And what had happened was in the past, somebody had done something illegally and the owner of the homes, he bought all 25, had refurbished them, was selling them. And he had had his buddies come in and appraise them so that they could sell them for a greater amount of money and inflated it. And the taxes were based on that fraud. So we talked to the city and said, listen, do all 25 of us need to pay the $150 fee and file the paperwork? Or because all the units are the same, would it be okay if one person did it as a representative of all? They said that would be fine. And so what we are saying is that because one represented everybody, if they got the tax break, then everybody was going to get the tax break. That's what representation means. The Bible says that Christ died for all. He is our representative head. He is the one that died for all. And because he died for all, it implies that we are all dead. Now, because we are all dead, the Bible says in verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. We are different in Christ Jesus. We are all dead. Now, here's the second implication. We are now alive in Christ and made new. Verse 17 says, behold, all things are become new. Listen, just as sure as Christ died on the cross and took our sins upon himself and died for the sins of the world, when we trust Christ uh, as our Savior, we are dead in Christ. But just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, we are also new creatures in Christ. That's what baptism represents. We represent the man dying and rising again with Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing the love of Christ is, that he is our representative and he died for us. Hey, who can afford to pay that price? Nobody here. For if we die for our own sins, we are condemned to a life and eternity in hell. I want you to see, secondly, the miracle of constraining love. The miracle of constraining love, verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
The miracle of constraining love is this. You were changed when you got saved. You're no longer living for self. You're supposed to be living for Christ. That's the miracle. Do you know that before you were saved, you did not have the ability to live for God? The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity with God. We were the enemies of God. The Bible says we were the children of disobedience. We were different. We were children of the darkness. But now we're children of the light and we're translated in the kingdom of his dear son. We have been made new in Christ and we can now live for him. That's the miracle of constraining love. I want you to see thirdly the motive of constraining love in verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God. He said, what is the purpose? What is the motive of all this? He hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Thou then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. God's love constrains us that we become ambassadors for Christ. You've been reconciled to God. You have found the way. And now God wants you to help others find the way. He wants you to take others by the hand and show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Several years ago, we wanted to understand how our children, if they decided to go to school in the United States, how it might help them if they were to become American citizens. My wife is American and I'm Canadian and so they have that privilege born to my wife. And so I called Pastor Stone. His wife's American. I said, what do we have to do? I said, if my, if my kids want to go to the States, I said, I understand that in order to get a student visa, it's very different than when I went to school. Uh, they have to have $10,000 in the bank, and they have to prove that every year when they go back. I have $10,000 to help cover school and expenses. And I said, I, said, I, I don't know if that's, that's feasible for them. I am not sure at this point. They were just young. I said, what is it we should do? And so he, he took me through the path. He said, well, we just went to the consulate in Toronto, the American U.S. Embassy there, and he says, we registered them as Americans born abroad. So that's all you have to do. He says, they were born to an American mom. You got to do it before they're 18 years old. He says, go and register them as American born abroad. She's going to have to prove that she was born in the States. She lived in the States for a certain length of time. But he says, if she'll do all that, it's no problem. And so that's what we did. So the other that had the experience helped us find the way. That's all God is asking us to do. If you have been reconciled to God by his great love, he's saying, now go and be an ambassador for me. Go and tell others how they can be reconciled to God. You have the ministry of reconciliation. That is God's constraining love. It constrains us to focus on world evangelism. I want you to notice secondly today it is a consistent love. Turn if you will to 1 John chapter four. I'm so thankful that God's love is consistent, aren't you? Can you imagine if his love changed? It was funny, yesterday, um, Callie, Rob and Judy have gone away for their wedding anniversary for a couple days and so we have Callie staying with us my wife overheard the girls talking. And uh, you learn a lot just by listening to your kids. 
And Callie said to, um, to Bethany, she said, do you, do you notice, Beth, that sometimes maybe your mom is having a bad week and it's a you know, stressful week and so sometimes she's maybe the one that's getting on the kids and she's the one that's rebuking us and she's the one that's, that's trying to keep us straight and all the rest. And she says, then the next week, maybe it's your dad that's got more stress. And so then, then he, will, he will be the one that he's on you all the time and you know, and they kind of week on, week on. And Beth says, my parents don't have a schedule. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. You know what? The truth is we are flesh and we're not always consistent, are we? We love people and then we get upset and we get angry with somebody. And we don't behave in a consistent manner. But God's love is consistent. Jesus said, I, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said, I am the Lord, I changeth not. And I'm thankful that I, I know what to expect every time I go to the altar. And I know what to expect every time I go to the prayer room. And I know what to expect every time I have to fall on my face and beg for forgiveness. I know that I have a loving God that will love me and forgive me. And yes, he may chasten me be times. And it's because he's a father that loves his children. Listen, do you, do you know that love without rebuke is not real love? The Bible says open rebuke is better than secret love. The wounds of a friend are kind. And so God rebukes me and God chastens me and God punishes me, but thankfully it's consistent. First John chapter four, I want you to notice, first of all, in verse seven, it is a faithful love. His consistent love is a faithful love. Verse seven, the Bible says, beloved, uh, let us love one another for love is of God. And look at that next phrase. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for what? God is love. It's a faithful love. John 3.16, for God so loved what? The world. Everybody can know Christ's love. There's no discrimination whatsoever. God loves the world and he died for everyone. It is a faithful love. I want you to notice, secondly, it's not a frugal love. It is not a frugal love. Look at verse eight. The Bible says God is love. Verse seven says love is of God. God is not cheap concerning his love. God is lavish in his love. Uh, the Bible says he is love. Ephesians chapter two tells us this, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. The Bible says it is a great love that God loves us with. It is not a frugal love. You know, I, I hope that you men have done something for Valentine's Day. I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't like Valentine's Day. I think it's a hallmark holiday, to be honest with you. I think it's just the way that the card companies have guilted men into spending money. I, I really believe that. I think we ought to be expressing our love all the time. Amen, somebody? Uh, shouldn't we? Husbands, love your wives. Uh, shouldn't it be a 365 day a year? I just read this week that the United States of America had imported 7 billion flowers in preparation for this weekend. 7 billion flowers. I don't know how much that cost, but you gotta figure they're probably inflated by about 100% when they sell them. The money that is made is incredible. 
I, I, but, we, but when, we're, when we're loving someone, we ought to be lavish. We ought to express our love. He said, well, I can't afford it. Well, just do the best you can. I know my wife likes Chinese food, so I took her out. Sunday's so busy for us, so I took her out Thursday for a Chinese lunch. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be thoughtful. On Friday, she walked in. I got up a little bit earlier than normal on Friday. I couldn't sleep real well. My head was filled up, and so I got up and got showered and got ready to go, and, and I was waiting for the kids to get up, so I made the bed. My wife came in and almost started crying. She says, you made the bed? Fellas, I'll just let you in on a little secret. When you never do it, it's that much more special. <laughs> Amen? I, just, I was just trying to make it special. That's why I didn't do it the other 364 days of the year. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But the truth is, is I, when she, and when she started, she teared up and said, you made the bed. I said, happy Valentine's Day. I thought I'd better cash in. The truth is, I didn't do it. I just had time, and I knew she was busy getting breakfast on for others, and I thought, why not just get this done? But when we're just thoughtful and helpful, but we can't be frugal in our love, we must be showing it all the time. Christ's love is consistent because it's faithful and it's not frugal. Thirdly, it's a forgiving love. It's a forgiving love. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. In this was manifested, I like that, He says, I'm going to show you my love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. Do you know I couldn't live through self? Because I was sinful. I couldn't be reconciled to God in my sin. But Christ came and died on a cross and forgave me of my sins when I put my faith and trust in him. And now I understand the faithfulness of his love because it is forgiving. I want you to notice, fourthly, in this consistent love, it is not a fickle love. It is not a fickle love. Look at verse 10. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, or sorry, look at verse 19. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Listen, God's love for us was not conditional upon our love for him. The Bible says he first loved us. Can you imagine if God only loved the people that loved him back? Nobody would be saved. Because in our sin, we didn't know how to love God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. And verse 10 says, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. His love is not fickle. God is no respecter of persons. He loved the world enough to send his son to die. I want you to notice thoroughly this morning, we've looked at a constraining love. It's a consistent love. I want you to see a conquering love. It's a conquering love. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. (coughs) 
Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor think present, things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 37 gives us a theme for this point. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Christ's love is a conquering love. His love always wins. I want you to notice a couple things quickly. First of all, his love conquers our fears. In verse 35, I'm expecting it is the fears of the Roman church that are being expressed and dispelled here. As Paul says to them, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? They were fearing, could we ever fall away? Could we ever be separate from the love of Christ? And Paul answers them when he says, who shall separate us? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep as, as for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. He has conquered our fear. And he is persuaded that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Turn back to 1 John chapter 4 quickly. We see the second thing about conquering our fears. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 18. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Christ has conquered our fears. 2 Timothy, turn there if you will, 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Bible says this, In verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This love of Christ conquers our fears. Think about that the next time you're fearful about something. Do we really know the love of Christ? It's in those times of fear that it's likely we haven't been praying like we should. We're worrying and we're fretting about something, but when we go to God, his Love comforts us and helps us with our fears. Secondly, his conquering love conquers our failings. First Peter, in your Bibles, First Peter. Just back a few from First P- John, if you're there. First Peter chapter four. In verse eight, the Bible says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. How can Peter say that from experience? If anybody failed Christ, it was Peter. Peter's the one that at the Lord's table said, I'll never flee. I'll never forsake you. I'll never run away. I'll not deny you. And Jesus says, before the cock crows thrice, twice you'll deny me thrice. Three times you'll deny me, Peter. There's a passage in the Bible that says when Peter denied the third time and he heard that rooster crow, his eyes met the eyes of Jesus across the courtyard. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. 
But it was Peter that leapt out of the boat and swam to the shore and found Jesus there with fish upon the fire. And Jesus says, Peter, lovest thou me? You know that I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. It was Peter who was forgiven so much. And it was the love of Christ that conquered his failings. I want you to notice finally this morning, it is a constraining love, a consistent love, a conquering love, but it's a compelling love. Turn to Luke chapter 14 and we'll be done. Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells a parable to help his disciples understand the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 14 and verse 15, the Bible says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one of consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Lord said unto the servants, go out on the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Christ was concerned that his father's house was not full. And he said, go out and compel them. Compel them. That means be convincing. Give them something that draws them in. Tell them of the love of Christ and the love of the Father. Draw them into this meal. It was Christ's love that compelled us. It was love that sent his son to the cross and died for our sins. And it was upon the realization that we were sinners and lost without a savior that we trusted Christ and were reconciled to the Father. But it was all because of the love of God who sent his son to die for the world. That love is a compelling love and we are to compel others with that same gospel story. Friends, I want you to know today that Christ loves you and God loves you. Loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. The Bible is very plain. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's something that occurred to me this week about that word gift. Do you know that we only give gifts to those we love? God loved the world and he offered the gift of salvation to all who would believe. And if you'll simply trust in him, you can have eternal life, this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I came into the Sunday school class this morning after the choir was done practicing. I went into the Sunday school class that I helped my wife in. And Ida said to me in the strides, so this would be a blessing to you. She said, you know, Sarah came in this morning. The first thing she said, she looked at me with a big smile and said, I got saved last week. Man, Ida's standing there, tears coming down her face because this little girl, the first thing she wanted to tell her teacher, I got saved last week. What a blessing. She was compelled to give her heart to Christ. 
Let me ask you today, are we compelling others? Are you compelled today to give your life to Christ, to trust him as your Lord and Savior? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is a great love verse as well. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can come to him today and be saved. Let somebody take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment this morning. Bakers are going to come and begin to play a song of invitation. Let me ask you today, it's Valentine's Day and so we're talking about the love of Christ this morning. The love of God. You know, there's this philosophy in the world today that if God really loves everybody, then he'd just take everybody to heaven. The problem is, is we chose not to go to heaven. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not an evidence of God's love or lack of love. That's an evidence of our failures and not being right with God. But God loved us so much anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He devised a plan. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as our representative. And if you will just come today and put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You must trust in God's grace, his gift today, by faith. Trusting in Jesus only as your savior. And if you will do that, you will understand the love of Christ as he imparts unto you this unspeakable gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And you are now reconciled to God, made right. Are you perfect? No, you're forgiven. And when you stand before God, you're clothed in Christ's righteousness, not your own. Because our own is but filthy rags in the sight of God. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The instruments are going to begin to play. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and... For Christians, would we thank God for his great love today? Would we praise him for what he has done for us? Would you worship him today for just who he is? We came here today to lift up the name of Christ and to glorify him and to thank him for his wondrous love. Would you just take a moment and do that today? Or maybe there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never trusted him, never repented of sin and turn to Christ would you just slip up your hand and let us help you today I'm not going to embarrass you I'm not going to call out your name is the one say pastor would you pray for me I'm not sure I'm saved if I were to die today I just don't know what would happen I don't know where I'd spend eternity is there one